Season 1.5, D&D 1. This is Demystified, solving DM mysteries in 20 minutes or less, because the only hard part is scheduling the next session. Hi, I'm Jamie. I'm Joey. And I'm Asaf. Today, we're going to talk about the upcoming changes in D&D 1. So, Wizards of the Coast just announced some pretty massive changes to the D&D 5e system. We're going to talk about our impressions of the changes, like what we know so far, but we're also going to talk about how to handle it as a DM, some big things first. So as a DM, how can you fold changes into your system? Like the obvious question is, why would you want to take the new stuff and incorporate it? But I think the more interesting question is, why would you not? Why would you keep the old? If you're, if it works for you, why fix it if it's not broke? That's what a lot of people would say. Yeah, me on the other hand, I'm all for the new stuff. What do you think, Asa? I was going to say, since D&D is a group activity, if the group as a whole is we're happy with the rule set that we have right now, then there's no reason to break it or fiddle with it and until that particular campaign or table is done. But if some of the group is like feels like the changes would be beneficial to the game, then that would be a reason to bring it in. I don't think we should look at it as a change to the rule set or a new rule set, because it certainly isn't that. It's just more options. That's really what it is. And that's what I think we're going to be seeing in 2024 is just more options that you can add to your game. And as all of fifth edition has been the rules are optional every rule is optional because you can just ignore it but they're making changes like that if there's combat in the middle of a long rest you don't get credit for the long rest and you have to long rest after that so that is not an option that's an outright change that's optional here's the thing and here's the reasoning behind this they uh, some of the changes that they're proposing and this is play test this is not set in stone this is not what is going to 100 percent be in what the book in 2024 they are throwing some ideas out there that they have learned from the community that this is the way that the community has played even though these some of these changes that are in this update aren't in the rules right now so for instance a lot of questions that the creators of D have gotten about rests is if there is combat during rest does that interrupt the rest and according to the current rules no it doesn't because it has to last at least two hours i believe for a rest i I think it's one hour but one hour something like that so this change is to make the rules seem more appropriate to the way the people are already playing the game thing yeah but it's one of those things where it's not one player can do it it has to be the entire table has to take this rule on well it's up to the dm yeah but i mean like that's what i mean there's I consider it as like an option is something a single player can pick. So a single player can pick to use this new race or this new background. But if it's something that the entire table has to agree to or be part of and a single player can't opt out of it, then it acts as a rule. It's still an optional rule. So the DM decides what rules are going to be in the game. There are optional rules already that the DM decides are in the game. Flanking, the presence, meat grinder rules. The presence of feats themselves is technically an optional rule, but... Not in 2024. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another rule system change. That I'm excited about. I've already been doing feats at first level pretty much since 5th edition came out, just because it was that's the way it was in 3rd, 
So it just, it felt better. Yeah, there were a lot of 3.5 edition optional rules that I think was there for like backwards compatibility as well. I'm yeah. definitely excited for that. The feats are going to come in at, as part of your background. The default background now is a custom background, although it will provide some pre-made options, but it says in the rules that you can completely change each of the backgrounds to make your character however you want. And uh, the material also comes with a couple of feats and even some new feats, changes to existing feats. So before we dive too deeply into those, in the past, there have been expansions to 5e that have not like 5.5, nothing like groundbreaking, but what is it? Xanathar's Guide and Tasha's Cauldron came out and a lot of a lot of tables might have been mid-campaign. So how had tables handled integrating that stuff into into their player character traits, into their character sheets, into their backgrounds in the past? Is it is there a graceful expected way to do this or is it just you kill your character off and then you get the new hot? I've seen it's a couple different ways. The most obvious, but also the least enjoyable is we just start a new campaign. We're just like, we're just going to put this whole thing aside, create new characters, start a new campaign with the new rules. It's... That's one way I've seen it, but you could just let the players, if you're the DM, I always, if something new comes out, I always give the players the option to change their current character to the new updated version of that thing. If they want to Uh, remake the same character with the new rules kind of thing. Right. Yeah. But it's the same character. It's the same character. They just updated the rules. Like for instance, the Aladrin has been printed three times now. There's three versions of the Aladrin out there. And, uh, one of my friends who is still playing the original one that so outdated in the DM's guide, even though I've given him the opportunity to try to update it <laughs> so many times. So does that expand to like new subclasses? Like when someone's running a ranger and any of the new books came out, it's almost unrecognizable from the original PHB version. Because it's all the way back to the class specific features. They got rid of a preferred terrain and what is it? The designated foe or whatever oh yeah for the tasha's optional features i would let the ranger just take those and swap them out as like nothing happened but subclass i would let a player change if it made sense or for a quest reason if they went on like a quest to do it or something like that to change their subclass i would depend on what the subclass was and how much it would change the way that they play their character yeah. All right. I look at it as I let the players make a major change to their character in the beginning of the campaign when they're just starting out so that because we don't know if their character is going to work out. But then also one additional major change to their character at some point later to basically like account for something like this or if they're not enjoying their character or whatever happens. So I just kind of say you can hand wave one change kind of thing, but it, uh, one major change. And we'll just let it yeah, fly. I usually let players make changes to their characters up to level. Yeah. However, you're flexible in allowing your players to make changes or make updates. Just be consistent because if there's the appearance that you're treating your players unfairly, that could lead to a problem. But so now for the fun parts, what are the changes? What do they mean? And are there any potential pitfalls we're seeing? Okay. So let's just start right at the top races or actually let's start at what this what's in this document and how you what how you use it to create your character here you're going to choose your race you're going to choose your background and your background is going to give you two skills a tool a language and a feat 
and 50 gold pieces to spend on that is a modification from tasha's and php oh and also your background now provides you your ability score increase as opposed to your race yeah, I always disliked the race having the ability score increase because it didn't make much sense to me. It did that shoehorning that earlier editions did where you always have the gnome wizard. Yeah, it's also, it's one of those aspects that isn't going to age well as society moves on. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. Even with uh, without getting the ability score increases as part of the race... There are still certain classes that sell with certain races. So let's jump into the changes to the races, starting with the human. No more ability score increases, so no more plus one to all. The human now can be small or medium. Whenever a human finishes a long rest, they gain inspiration. And this goes along with the changes to the inspiration rules, where you now gain inspiration whenever you roll a natural 20 on a d20 test which is an ability check attack roll or saving throw yeah i do like that they're trying to encourage the use of inspiration because that was always felt like it was something that the rules wanted us to use but never actually encouraged us or reminded us to use it was too much of a dm like loose thing it was like you get it when the dm decides and then it was that was it or it's remembered it There's process that in work, there's processes, there's what you do. It's part of the game loop. You have to cast spells, then you burn a spell slot in order to cast it, and then you recharge your spell slots by resting short or long, depending on your class. But the inspiration feels like it happened whenever people remembered that they had it, whenever people, the DM, remembered that they could give it. And so it wasn't part of the loop, and so it was just kind of left out. And this is a way to to bring it in. Here's another thing to encourage you to use your inspiration. It goes away when you take a long rest. Oh, boy. Yeah. But a human always has it then. As long as they, whenever they take a long rest, they get their inspiration back. And here's another thing about inspiration. If you earn inspiration and you already have it, you can give it to somebody else. Nice. When you get it. Very generous. Very generous. Humans also get a skill and a feat. Go ahead. Sorry. So what other races got a major change? How about this? There's a whole new race, the Ardling. Is it really an all-new all race, or is it just a retitled existing race? No, it's an all-new race. Yeah, it has a lot of similarities to the Azamar thing. Wizards of the Coast has a weird relationship with the Azamar. I don't know why. I would prefer the Azamar to be in the player's handbook, but we've got this. I don't know why. But here's what it is. It is a creature that is a humanoid. That is tied to one of the upper planes, whereas the Azamar has a, a celestial host or something that it, a guide, a celestial guide. This is supposed to be a character who is tied to the plane itself, either through their birthright or some kind of intermingling of energy. And they have the head of uh, an animal. And this goes back to the Gardinals and the Archons of the upper planes. It's actually like a planescape. Okay. So it feels vaguely Egyptian themed. Yeah, it could be. That's one way to look at it. Back in second edition and third edition, there were a group of celestials called Gardinals, and they each there was a number of different kinds, and they each had an animal theme. They looked like they had animal heads and like animal like bodies, but they were humanoid shaped. They can fly as a bonus action, and they get some spells similar to Tiefling, but 
Celestial. Nice. Okay. Let's talk a little bit, because we, we said that the races changed and they took the ability score out of the race. Let's talk a little bit briefly about the backgrounds, because that's the major, the next major thing here, right? Yeah, they moved your ability score increase from the race to the backgrounds. And it in this document, at least right now, it is a plus two, plus one. But I believe Jeremy Crawford did say you can do a plus one to to three if you prefer. Okay. I think that would be an interesting dynamic to have that. Now, if you were going to use these rules with races that already give an ability score increase, you would ignore the ability score increase from the background in this document. Of course, because you wouldn't want to like pile on and get like a plus four from the get go. Yeah, I'm getting a plus four and a plus two. I'm going to be I'm going to be uber. I'm going to be sitting there with a 19 yeah. at level one plus a feat that gives me a plus one. The 20. Bam. <laughs> Do centaurs get four feet? Yeah, I always like the idea of the background being a bigger part of character creation than it is in in the original rule set of 5th edition. Because I felt like 5th edition, people picked a background and then they never talked about it ever again. Yeah, no, I like the improvements to the backgrounds here. They want to make backgrounds more impactful, I think. And moving the ability score increase to the background and giving you a feat related to your background or that you pick is a good way to make it more relevant yeah i think it's weird that actually if you look at the original player's handbook backgrounds were optional it was to originally help develop your like your character's story and who they were it's where your personality traits came from it felt like it was an rp thing yeah and i think it took them this long to realize that players are gonna rp their character not something from the book yeah. And I think in the same the same way they're trying to make backgrounds more impactful, they're doing the same thing with races by giving them trying to give them all some kind of scaling for the or for the most part, like with proficiency bonus. Yeah, the Dragonborn already has some really good scaling on it. Honestly, I'm not very happy with the Dragonborn in this document. I would like them to just reprint I feel like they should reprint Fizzband's Dragonborn in the new PHB. Because this one I'm not that thrilled about it so you're saying it doesn't scale very well <laughs> okay Come on. Yep. oh that was All so right. good okay it does okay it does have an interesting scaling mechanic yeah. <laughs> about the scaling thing all right just to recap there's going to be a lot more changes coming but make sure that if you want to incorporate this into your table talk with your players and be consistent give everyone a voice because some rules will apply to everybody and some will be individual character rules and you don't want one player to feel slighted over another so just be fair and have an open discussion and decide if D one is right for you ask your doctor if your session lasts for longer than four hours <laughs> seek medical attention <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I definitely think that the 5.5 will be an interesting addition. Yeah. Oh, it's not going to be. 5. That's what they say. But... That. Don't say 5e. Don't say 5.5. Don't say 6. You say 5e. 5e is fine. Well, technically 5e is not real either, but we all say it. So it's yeah. going to be 5.5 and they're just going to get over it. Yeah. Yeah. And in a decade, they're going to say, you've been calling it 5.5 for the past decade. So we're finally going to have an unearthed arcana that it's going to be d d too. Yeah. Anyway. I do think it's a, a lot of hubris that they're saying that this is the last. That is... So, it's a code name. One D&D is a code name. Yeah. I mean... I've said that. The, it's still a lot of hubris. I'm still, I'm still going for Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. 
Yeah, zero E here. So that was another one, Demystified. Huzzah! Holla! Yep. Boom. This was Demystified. If you liked it, we'd appreciate it if you could leave a review or share this with your friends. Our website is demystified.com. Just the letter D, mystified.com. Do you have a question for us? Reach out via our Twitter handle, at PickledWizards. Or ask on Facebook at Pickled Wizards. Same page. We might talk about your problem here.